G'day Spruddies. Now I've decided to try something new. I have decided to do a podcast and a YouTube simultaneously. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you can check it out on the podcast. I'll link it below. And if you're watching this on the pod, if, sorry, if you're listening to this on the podcast and you'd like a picture to go with it, then check it out on YouTube. Uh, today we're talking to Dean and Aisha Scherzai. They are world-leading researchers in Alzheimer's disease, which is something that is a, a uh, it's close to my heart, put it that way, because uh, both of my grandparents, two of my grandparents, I should say, died from Alzheimer's, and that was not fun to witness and be part of, so uh, I'd like to do whatever I can to try to help people avoid that fate. If you, uh, what I can do, I guess, is this. I can share this story with you and hopefully it'll help you or someone you know or someone you love to avoid the same fate. Uh, it's not fun. Alzheimer's is a big deal and it's not really uh, commonly and widely understood about the role that uh, food and lifestyle in general can play in the development of the disease. So... I hope you guys learn a lot from this episode. Uh, just a quick note that uh, I haven't done an episode of the podcast, especially over, over uh, from online before. They've all been in person. As a result, the audio is not quite as good as it usually would be, but uh, I've decided that I'm okay with that because it allows me to talk to amazing people like this, which I wouldn't be able to reach otherwise. So, uh, yeah. We give a little and you get a little. So, uh, before I get into it, last thing, if you are interested in myself or what I do or you like what I do, then please uh, go to spudfit.com. You can download five free recipes there if you want. You can subscribe to the newsletter. That'd be great. Uh, also, go to iTunes and give me a five-star rating. <laughs> That'd be lovely too. Uh, share this with your friends, that'd also be helpful. Anyway, let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast to Dean and Aisha Scherzai, and I hope you guys like it and enjoy it as much as I did. Oh, last thing I forgot to mention <laughs> was that uh, Aisha was only able to be with us for half an hour, so she took off half an hour through. So uh, yeah, if you're, one, if, you're, if you're listening along and, uh, and suddenly you're wondering what happened to her, well, that's what. She had uh, something else she needed to get to, a prior appointment, but nevertheless, we continued on talking with Dean. All right, spot up, everyone. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Uh, welcome to the SpudFit podcast, uh, Dean and Ayesha. Ayesha, I forgot to ask you if I said that right. Ayesha? Aisha, it's Aisha. too terrible. Aisha, Aisha. Aisha, all right, sorry, yeah. Aisha. Welcome to the SpudFit podcast, Dean and Aisha Scherzai. It's, uh, it's an honour to have you here. Uh, it's Thank great you. to be speaking with you. Um, I always start with, uh, with the biggest and most important question first and the, probably the hardest one to answer as well. Uh, can, can you tell me who you are? <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> Um, absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having us. Uh, we are, my name is uh, Aisha. We're uh, husband and wife. I have to say that. We're both neurologists. You don't have to say it, but, but we <laughs> Sometimes people, people get it wrong, but we're husband and wife yes. neurologists. We're both uh, 
um, we work at uh, Loma Linda University, which is in Southern California. We are the co-directors of the Brain Health and Alzheimer's Prevention Program. And uh, we trained at NIH, Dean went to NIH and Georgetown University, and I trained at uh, Loma Linda University and Columbia University, um, both focusing on prevention of neurological diseases, um, particularly Alzheimer's disease and diseases of um, you know, memory and uh, degenerative, degenerative disease of the brain. And so for the last um, 14, 15 years, our work and our research has been focused on um, particularly lifestyle, important of lifestyle and prevention of brain diseases. Right. And yeah, and uh, we actually chose to come here from, from those institutions because Loma Linda, as you may know, is one of the um, uh, blue zones, the only one in the United States and the only one that's been validated um, uh, numerically, uh, you know, statistically in every way. So. And yeah. blue zones are areas where people live longer and healthier than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I was going to ask about if, uh, if the Loma Linda being a blue zone had an impact on, on your decision about uh, you know, why you decided to head there. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting to know that, uh, that it did. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We wanted, I mean, if, as, as a physician, if you want to study, and a scientist, you want to study disease, why wouldn't you go somewhere where there's less disease and figure out what's the underpinning of, of what's, what's uh, the cause uh, of, of that uh, survival benefit. And uh, we have, uh, and us, our focus was the brain. And uh, we have found a profound effect of lifestyle on brain. And there's good reason for that. Yeah, it's so interesting to me that, uh, and it makes sense, it makes total sense that uh, people who are healthy tend to be healthy in all areas, in all, all aspects of health, physical and mental health, uh, and just lifestyle health in general. It seems to cover, you know, one solution solves everything. Well, not, there's not more than one solution, I guess. There's more, many aspects to a solution. But, you know, if people get it right, then it's good for their overall health. So you, you look at the Loma Linda people, and they, they live a long time because they're physically, physically healthy, and, uh, and it seems to be that they're also mentally healthy and, and as far as brain health goes. I guess mental health and brain health are separate things to an extent. But, um, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. In many ways, they are the same thing because it's the same chemical processes and it's the same um, uh, effects, environmental uh, factors that affect both. Um, and so... And we've had the privilege of working with numbers and data, and we've seen it in our clinic and in our research. And at the same time, both of us work in the community as well. And we see the devastation that, you know, the lack of good environment or good lifestyle has on brain diseases in general. Mm. I mean, uh, this, this, uh, for decades, people have differentiated the brain or separated the brain from the rest of the body as if as if it works in a different mechanism, as if it's a completely different uh, structure and process than the rest of the body. It's not. It's vascular, it's got nerves, it's got the you know, um, lymphatic system, you know, that was found out, and all the structures there, but much more so. So take whatever happens in the heart, as far as vascularity, immune response, and everything else, it happens much more in the brain. This little three-pound organ, which is uh, uh, basically 2% of the body's weight, consumes 25% of body's energy continuously. Yeah, that's so incredible. whatever 
yeah, whatever processes that are going on everywhere else is going on much more so in the brain. So whatever we have learned so far that works in the heart, diabetes and everything, both affects the brain much more so and affects it positively much more so. And that's why we say when I, if you've taken care of brain health, you've taken care of all health because that, that needs so much more. Yeah, I was going to ask about that later anyway, but yeah, we can get into it now that we, we sort of think of uh, the brain as being separate because it sort of is, you know, it is separate from the rest of the body. It's up here and everything else is down here. But right. I think we, we probably take that a little bit too far, you know, that, because in the end, it's just another organ and it, it, it is. you know, and the way, the way we feed that organ and the fuel it is the same as every other organ. So you know, I wanted to ask about the relationship between uh, heart disease and stroke and Alzheimer's and, you know, if, if those are brought on by similar processes or, yeah. Yeah, I know it's the same processes, essentially. As a matter of fact, the brain is more susceptible to anything we do. Um, you know, whatever, whatever we choose to do or lack thereof, whether we decide to exercise or not, or whether we eat well or not, or whether we sleep well or not, it affects our brain first because of that susceptibility that it has. So, um, you know, we, we always say, whatever you do affects your brain first and then the rest of the body. And if you really take good care of this brain, you've taken care of the rest of the body. Yeah. It has the same arteries, it has the same uh, chemical processes, the same kind of inflammation that it affects the rest of the body affects the brain first and foremost and to a greater extent. Um, and so, you know, the same kind of elements of uh, preventive measures that are applied for the heart or the kidney or the liver and et cetera, apply to the brain as well. And um, so, you know, we've tried to create this model of a brain centric approach, which essentially means focus on the brain because that's where your personality resides. That's where your emotions reside. That's where motivations come from. And if you've taken care of the structure of the brain and the chemical processes that bring on motivation and happiness and all the necessary chemicals that make you want to get up and take good care of yourself. That's it, that's most of the game right there. You've, you've, you've gone along taking care of so many things that are considered, you know, that are taken for granted. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a couple of aha moments already for me is, is the, the idea that, uh, you know, everything, the brain uses more blood and everything uh, more than the rest of the body. So, you know, everything affects the brain first. That's a, a really, uh, a new way to understand things for me. And also just what you just mentioned, really the brain is contains everything that makes you, you essentially. So yeah, yeah it's a really good way to look at it, to look after who you are. As, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, my, we, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, so my interest in Alzheimer's comes from my, my grandparents. Both of my, my father's parents both died from uh, Alzheimer's and yeah, it was a struggle watching them. They were a few years apart, but they, they went through it, uh, yeah, separately. Uh, my grandmother yeah. after my grandfather, but yeah, just, just watching the, their life deteriorate. And then, you know, I was there on both of their last days. Uh, it, was, it was a really hard thing to go through, uh, both for myself, but also for them to, you know, you could see it was not, it was obviously for probably everyone that goes through it, it's not a fun thing to, to be aware have those moments of clarity and awareness that your life is fading away and then other moments where you've got no idea what's going on and 
anyway, that was a, an emotional time for me, twice with that. And uh, so that's yeah. where my interest in Alzheimer's comes from. So where did it come from for you guys? Um, same place, same place as you. Um, we were personally affected by it. Um, we both had two grandparents each that went through the slow, painful pathway of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And we saw how it affected our parents and our community in general. And um, in many ways, that's what brought us together because we were very interested in understanding the brain better to see how we could actually find you know, a uh, solution for it. And we both trained at um, very good universities um, and we were among the scientists who were completely focused on finding a treatment for this devastating disease. Through pharmaceuticals. Through pharmaceuticals. Dean was in the experimental and therapeutics branch of the National Institutes of Health. That's an area where they only talk about chemicals and pills and finding specific solutions and treatments for dementias and Parkinson's disease, et cetera. And you know, I trained at Columbia University where everything was focused on treatment as well. But after years and years of working in the trenches with patients and seeing loved ones and family members suffer from it, we've come to a point where you know, now we have a better understanding of how this disease evolves. It doesn't come on right away when you're you know, in your 70s or 60s for that matter. It's a process that is actually um, promoted by lifestyle choices. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we are blaming anybody for not, you know, for not doing anything in their lifestyle, but we've come to a point where we have diagnostic tools and we have a lot of data that actually show us time and time again that the disease actually starts way earlier, 20 or 30 years earlier, but it manifests itself at a point where, you know, it's almost too late. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's something that was really interesting for me. Uh, because I've learned a lot recently about heart disease, especially, and I, I learned about that uh, you know a lot of a lot of young kids, like le less than ten years old, when they've died of other causes like a car crash or something, they'll do an autopsy and find that these young young children have uh, have heart disease already, uh, already progressive heart disease, and uh, and yeah, now to learn that maybe not quite so young, but Similarly, a, a lot further, a lot earlier in life, maybe 20, 30 years before any signs show up, uh, you, people could already be suffering from uh, at least not, maybe not Alzheimer's, but at least some precursors. Some, uh, yeah. Correct. It, it, yeah. And, 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 and there, the Alzheimer's process, like I said, starts earlier. And so it's cognitive decline and, and effect of different parts of the brain, be it attention, memory, visual spatial processing. But it starts very early. We tell people that there are two paths you start taking in your 20s in reality. One of decline or one of continuous resilience and growth. And that depends, and that actually speaks to process outside of Alzheimer's. Because if you take the path of resilience, you'll never get to Alzheimer's. Majority of people won't. There's, yeah, everything is genetics, but a great deal of, um, uh, about 90 to 95% of those who ultimately develop Alzheimer's are not driven by their genes. It's the environment's effect on their genes. There's 5% that are really heavily driven by genes. And, and even they are affected by environment, but they will get it in their lifetime. But the other 90% or more, the genes, which are, so far we've identified nearly 30 genes, 
they, they determine a range of when you could be developing the disease, as much as 30 to 40 years. And what you do throughout life or what happens to, to you in life determines if you're going to get it early or later. So that's the relationship between lifestyle and genetics. The genetics just give you a, 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 a canvas, and then what you do on that canvas is determines if it's going to be a Picasso or, or a, a, a pseudo-Picasso, let's say. <laughs> a pretend yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, my own grandfather, one of the most brilliant men, we're not going to get into, I guess we will get into the specifics later, but um, brilliant man. So he had done what was needed as far as brain activity. You know, that's a protective thing. But when it came to nutrition, it was absolutely terrible. And, and as far as exercise and movement, terrible. So that's, it's not a matter of blame. It's a matter of us knowing and us knowing as individuals, as families, as communities, yeah. what things we can do to push, push that disease back. Yeah, you can only you can only do what you know, and you know when you know better, then you can do better. So yeah, it's important to right. to uh, to recognize that and not blame people. You can't help it if you don't know something; it's not your fault. But you know, at least once you know, then then you've got the options to to make improvements. Right. Um, yes. It made me feel good when you when you talked about the uh, the genetic side of things, because obviously that's also a concern for me. Both of my grandparents, yes. you know, died of yeah. so. The genetics are there for me. Uh, must be there, whether or not yeah. uh, whether or not it actually gets to me. That's what I'm here to talk to you about. <laughs> but yeah. uh, yes, yes. A, I can't remember who said it right now. But there's a good quote about this sort of thing that goes along the lines of um, you know, genetics loads the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger. Yeah, correct. So yeah, is that? Do you think that applies here as well? It does. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It does. Absolutely. Or, or you know, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, he says that lifestyle is is that switch where you turn on and off the um, um, your your genetics. Um, so lifestyle is essentially the tool where you can turn on and off those genes, whether you want them to become active or not, or stay you know um, uh, inactive and dormant. Um, and and we've, we've seen that um, over many decades and so much research that shows that that's exactly how it is for brain health as well. Yeah, all right. Well, so there's a, there's a lot to this then and you already talked about that you've worked with uh, pharmaceuticals and studied that sort of side of things, but that's really not your focus these days. No. Um, I guess those sorts of pharmaceuticals and drugs probably have their place at some point, but... Uh, I guess the, the major focus is your, what I've read about in your amazing book uh, is the, the neuro plan. So uh, let's start talking about that. So the first part of neuro is? The first part is new, uh, nutrition and stands for nutrition. And, um, you know, it's um, probably the most important way of creating the right environment for the brain and the body to thrive and grow. And we always say, you know, how can it not be important? It's um, something that you put in your body, you know, three to five times a day, and it makes and breaks uh, the, the infrastructure and the connections between yourselves. And um, so far, um, as far as uh, data is concerned, um, we know that the best kind of a diet is a whole food plant-based diet, which is essentially an unprocessed plant-based um, plant diet. Um, saturated fats that come from um, animal proteins or animal source sources, as well as refined sugar, 
um, those seem to be the most harmful things for, uh, for the brain. It breaks down the connections between brain cells. It causes inflammation in uh, the brain structure as well as the blood vessels that supply oxygen and nutrition to the different parts of the brain. And, um, you know, like we said earlier, the, uh, uh, the effects may not manifest themselves right away, but say years and years and years of staying in that kind of a dietary pattern actually shows higher risk of Alzheimer's disease higher risk of Parkinson's disease and stroke as well. Um, and so we can't emphasize the importance of eating the right type of food. Correct. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, my major focus personally is obviously a big, uh, a big focus on nutrition. Um, yeah. yeah, the way I ate is really what changed my life. You know, it's not the yes. only thing, but, but it was the, it was the start for me. And, um, yeah, once I, once I got the food right, then, all other areas of my life uh, somehow fell into place, not without effort, but things were made a lot easier by, by getting my diet right. And uh, well, while we're talking about my personal diet, obviously I did my year of only potatoes. What do you think of that effect would have had on my brain, my brain health? Would that have helped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, the, there are many factors there. You wanna make sure that um, you get energy to the body. So uh, that speaks to this demonization of carbohydrates. Uh, th there's a whole industry out here, which actually serves the purpose of the meat industry by demonizing carbs. You know, So if you can't eat carbs, you can't eat sugar, what's left? Well, that's the bacon. Uh, so uh, that's the demonization of carbs. Uh, carbs are not bad. It's not about carbs, it's not about, it's about high and low glycemic uh, foods, and making sure that you get glucose. Glucose is the most efficient way to get energy to the brain mm -hmm. and to the body. Yeah, ketones are easier to get in because they just go into the cell, but easy is not always good when it comes to physiology. I mean, whoever told you that, then they, they have not studied any medicine. I'm not, I'm not saying you or anybody who says that. Um, ketones, um, actually uh, damage the body over a long time, especially the brain, uh, because it's a shortcut. And, and some people say, oh, but, but when I'm on ketogenic diet, I lose weight. I said, you know, I said there, uh, actually Dean Orton, Ornish says that, and I say it as well, is that there are many ways to lose weight. They're not necessarily good ways to lose weight. You know, you can be drinking um, uh, acetone and you'll lose weight. And if you could, yeah, and, and you can, uh, you know, uh, get uh, severe depression and you'll lose weight. Yeah. And uh, you can cut off your arm and you'll lose weight. And, you know, <laughs> there's lots of ways just so, uh, and so that's not, that's not the appropriate measure or is it the immediate attention because it's a quick little boost of energy. But long-term, given that the cell is not getting its regular source of very complex carbohydrate and it's the cycle that, that binds to the receptor, then it turns on other receptors. If that whole process is not gone through, inflammation builds up. So carbohydrates are good. Complex carbohydrates are good. Um, and, and potatoes are a great source of complex carbohydrates. And, and I, I don't think you did yourself any harm. And, and, and definitely staying away from saturated fat and simple sugars, you did yourself a lot of good. Uh, the, the only thing is making sure that one doesn't get a, a, have any deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies. And so uh, does, does potato provide all of the vitamins needed? Uh, I'm not sure it does, but uh, did you, were you taking any supplements at the time? 
I took a B12 supplement and, uh, and yeah, that, that was it for me. And uh, yeah, it was only ever meant to be a temporary thing anyway. It was one year challenge and my blood test showed that everything was good, but it's not, it's not my plan for the rest of my life. <laughs> I eat. Yeah, yeah. It was really, for me, it was about, um, it was really, it was hard for me. I tried to go whole food plant-based many times before and I was terrible at sticking with it. I could never stick with it. And uh, along with every other diet you can think of, I couldn't stick with any diet. And, uh, and so this was sort of my way of uh, trying to kickstart uh, a new lifestyle. And yeah, a year was uh, and, uh, probably a long time to do it. But anyway, the point is that I, I eat whole food plant-based now, still with lots of potatoes, but lots of other health. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Uh, but but the but main story there is that it's, it's carbo complex carbohydrates. Yeah. Complex carbohydrates are great. And, and you can survive on them and survive, thrive on them. And, yes. um, and, and uh, you're, you're, you're very much better off than the, what we call here in America, uh, the standard American diet. That acronym speaks volumes, SAD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the SAD diet is, um, is, uh, um, is poor in every way, high salt, high sugar, high saturated fat. And, and, uh, and, yeah. Every day, somebody says uh, meat is bad. Another person says no, sugar is bad. No, no. Uh, both of those should be watched. Simple sugars should be definitely reduced. Saturated fats should be yeah. reduced or eliminated. And then, and then there's a world of wonderful, beautiful whole food, plant-based uh, uh, culinary uh, environment that you can live, thrive, build the brain with build the brain literally with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. People always associate a whole food plant-based diet with a sense of deprivation. When that's because of just the culture that we've lived in. Um, we've lived in a very meat-centric culture, um, but you know, slowly and gradually with you know, inspirations like yourself, you know, showing people that there's just a whole variety of things that people can do. And um, I'm, I'm glad that the, there is a paradigm shift in uh, consumption of food here in the US as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that idea of uh, deprivation, that was certainly something I struggled with before for my big change. And one thing that I like to tell people is that uh, if you don't sacrifice for what you want, then what you want becomes the sacrifice. And yeah. so in this case, it would be, you know, if you're not willing to sacrifice for your brain health, then your brain health will be the sacrifice. And, yes. And, um, and yeah, I think it's true in all areas of life. And the beautiful thing about this whole food plant-based diet is, uh, you know, initially it does, well, for me anyway, and for lots of people, it does feel like a sacrifice. But once you get into it, then you, you certainly realise very quickly that it's the opposite of that. And it opens yes. life up to you. So, uh, yeah, Absolutely. I think it's, it's a really important thing to remember. Um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, ketones and ketosis and that sort of thing, because that's a huge thing at the moment. And it seems to be just growing and growing. And everyone's all about ketosis and, uh, and you know, bring back the fat and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so you, you covered it a little bit all, already, but specifically one of, the, one of the areas I wanted to ask you about was, you know, I see in these ketosis uh, people, one of the one of, uh, plant-based criticisms of it is the high amounts of cholesterol. And the, then you get the ketosis advocates saying that, oh, cholesterol doesn't matter. It's uh, cholesterol's good. You should eat more cholesterol because it's good and you need it for brain health and various other functions. So what, what, can, what would you guys say to that idea of, uh, of 
we need more cholesterol and cholesterol is good? Well, we're scientists and we go by data. And one of the most beautiful statements that Dean always starts his conversation with is to the best of our knowledge today. And I think that's the humility of science because it shows that we're speaking from what the data has shown for decades. And so far, the data shows that saturated fats and cholesterol are detrimental to health. Heart health, brain health, gut health, you name it. There is no data out there that shows saturated fats and cholesterol are necessary elements in our diet. And that on the contrary, it should be reduced as much as possible for longevity, for lower mortality and lower disease, period. Um, as far as ketosis is concerned, ketosis is a necessary process during the flight or um, flight, fight, of, fight, uh, fight fight conditions where you need a boost of energy in situations where you're deprived of food, where your body uses alternative sources of energy to make you function for a short amount of time to get you out of a bad situation. That's how, that's how we've evolved so far. To continue that state of ketosis longer than the fight or flight situation is flawed. It starts causing inflammation and damage to the body. And we've seen it in individuals and um, you know, people who have been on high states of ketosis for a long time. I mean, they can't really function normally. There are certain diseases in neurology, particularly a pediatric type of epilepsy seizure that benefit, those populations benefit from a ketogenic diet, from a very, very low carb, high fat diet and a high protein diet. Beyond that, there is no data that shows that a ketogenic diet is good for anybody. And that's a very small population. And that's a population that's so sick that the normal anti-epileptic drugs are not working, so they have to be resorting to a shock state of the brain, which is the ketosis brain. And why would we apply that to the general population? Oh, by the way, and it hasn't been studied beyond a couple of weeks longer. Nobody has done studies to actually look at the long-term effects. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say too, because I have read a, a little bit about that, probably not anywhere close to as much as you, but I have read, yeah, that, that these diets have been applied in the short term, but I wasn't able to find anything about what happens in the long term, which is a worry for me. Um, Correct. Yeah, so I, I know you've got to go, Aisha, but one last question before you're out of here. Uh, and yeah. that was about, uh, like I mentioned already, my problem with the whole food diet until I did this potato thing was making it stick. I had the knowledge, I knew that it was the best thing I could do. Um, I knew that it was something I really desperately wanted to do, but I just was no good at making it stick. So obviously I've got my ideas about how to, how to make it work. And can you give us uh, some, some of your advice on how to actually, you know, knowledge is one thing, but action is what's important. So how can we make the action work for us? Planning. Planning, um, you know, having enough time during the week to plan your food for the rest of the week. Um, I actually went to culinary school to learn how to cook um, good food and, uh, you know, make it palatable for everybody and delicious. Um, I, I understand that if it's not delicious, it's not going to stick and people are not going to eat it. But what I found very helpful for myself and helping our patients in the community is planning, you know, getting um, a list of things that work for you that are based on your likes or dislikes and then preparing that 
and sticking to it. And of course, bring, bringing in healthy variations during the week to keep things exciting. Um, um, I think the, the feeling of well-being that comes with sticking to a whole food plant-based diet and it is in itself a, one of the biggest motivations ever. In our patient population, people feel the cloud lifting off, the fog going away. And that in itself is an incredible um, source of energy and um, motivation to continue it. Yeah, 100% relate to that idea of the cloud going, the fog lifting, all of that. That was a, a very big part of my experience too. And uh, it was really, really motivating in that first couple of weeks to, you know, the first couple of weeks of potatoes only, I'm talking about again, because that's my experience. But uh, the first couple of weeks of that for me was really, really hard. But once um, the effects of it kicked in and I started feeling really good, that just made a huge difference. And uh, I'm yeah. sure if I had done the same thing, but with sticking to a strict whole food plant-based diet, I, I think the experience would have been pretty similar. Absolutely. Of course, of course. Um, uh, all right, so- I you, Andrew. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for making some time and uh, we'll finish off with Dean. Now. Of course. Well, Dean's going to be here. Have fun. All right. See you later. Uh, okay. So let's, let's uh, push on and keep going through this yes, of course. idea. So the next part of it was exercise, which is also, they're all very important, but they're my two personal Things that I focus on most of all, which is something I need to work on, I guess, is, is the nutrition and exercise. Exercise is a, something I like as well. So not everyone does, but uh, I do. So yeah, let's yeah. talk about exercise. Exercise is critical. It actually builds the connections between neurons. Whereas nutrition and some of the other elements create the environment, a positive environment for the brain to thrive and, and, and have the the nutrients and, and, and the elements to build, um, exercise actually creates connections and, and, and maintains the function at, at much higher level, the blood flow, the neurotrophic factors. Um, but um, there are three elements that we know, to the best of our knowledge, again, there it is. Um, uh, it, there are three types of exercise that seem to stand out. One is we need to do a lot more aerobic than we had thought before. Um, uh, you know, at least get yourself tired up to 20 minutes to 25 minutes a day, four to five days a week, really get tired. And the second element is um, important that even if you've done that, to move throughout the day, to, uh, to not then become sedentary for the next 12 hours just because you did 20 minutes of you know, exercise. Because that, that's, that act of going and becoming sedentary makes, um, uh, negates the benefits of, of the 20 minutes of exercise. And the third element, which is a, a very unusual, is that leg strength seems to be strongly correlated with brain strength. So uh, if anybody's going to do uh, anaerobic exercise or mu muscle building, yeah, it's, it's all great, but legs are very important. So I tell people, do little mini squats, do whatever you need to do to build those leg muscles. They help blood to go back to the brain, they create, the, they're the largest muscle, so therefore they're the center of metabolism of the body, as well as the fact that they create these neurotrophic factors there as well. So uh, those three elements in exercise. And study after study has shown that it reduces the chance of going on to developing Alzheimer's by as much as 40%. Exercise that. Yeah. That's a huge number. That's much bigger than I would have expected. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, so when I, I, I love to exercise, like I said, I like running and cycling and I like kayaking. I do do some, a little bit of weight training as well, strength training, but my favorite is the, the aerobic training. And one of the reasons I like aerobic exercise is actually the, the way it, it seems to help me think. And I, do, yes. I seem to do a lot of my best thinking while I'm out cycling or running or kayaking. Or, and, you know, I could be stuck on a problem at home and then as soon as I, you know, half an hour into a run, the solution just comes to me. Um, is that, is that, <clears throat> sorry, is that, uh, what does that say about Alzheimer's? Does that, is that a, a factor or? It, it speaks to focus. I mean, a lot of times exercise becomes a form of meditation. We talk about meditation in the third section, the you, the unwind. Um, meditation is not just about crossing your legs and doing a mantra, which is fine. I, that, that's great. People who do transcendental, that's phenomenal. But meditation is about building focus. It's, uh, in fact, uh, we've talked about this with kids. We have two kids and we've, uh, we're writing a book on that, is that if you ever want to change IQ, which is thought to not to be able to change, but to really expand cognitive capacity, work on focus. Yeah. So, uh, and, and exercise, especially the kind that you're talking about, where you run in your own isolation in, a, in, a, in your own world in this repetitive mantra of beat to the ground beat of your heart that's a mantra that's focus it, it it forces out all the noises and then you collapse into your own world and and, and it's almost like the best form because now you're not falling asleep you're actually hyper focused and and then from that hyper focus comes this idea that you 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 pull in one of the thoughts streams of thought into that hyper focused state, and that you literally and figuratively, figuratively run with it. So, isn't that the most beautiful thing? I mean, you're creating a hyper focused state of mind, and you're running with the idea that you pull out from your folders. And it has the function of pushing away all the distractors. That's the beauty of, of, of something like running, something like biking. Um, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's a meditative state as much as it is an aerobic state. Yeah, that, that really is a beautiful description. And I have, I have thought about it as being a meditative type of thing before, because I have done meditation and, uh, and personally when I run, I know not everyone's the same, but personally when I run, my focus is on my breath when I run. A lot yes. of in meditation. I focus exactly. on, I personally, I, most of the time I take, I breathe in for three steps and then I breathe out for two steps. And I'm just focusing on that the whole time. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad you said it's like meditation because I've, without having researched it to confirm it, I've, I've always felt like it was a form of meditation for me. So. It definitely is. I mean, the, the, the people create magical qualities to things so that they can sell books. I hope that we didn't do that. There's no magical qualities. We always say this is science and it's a humble science, to the best of our knowledge right now. It's profound amount of data, 80 years of data, and now we bring it to the brain, which is, again, by the way, part of the body. But there it is. You thought it helped the We know that it helps the heart. We knew it helps with the endocrine system and everything else. We're talking about whole food plant-based. But here's how it works in the brain. Yeah. And it's, that's your most important organ. You, know, you can transplant any organ, but you can't transplant the brain. Because the moment you transplanted the brain, you've actually transplanted the body. Because yeah. the body, yeah, so it's, everything's around the brain. So why wouldn't you do the same thing, if not more, for the brain? 
And then the meditation, absolutely, there's no magic to it. It's that idea of creating something to focus around, pull the blood, and then bring ideas into that stream of consciousness. What better than the most wakeful state, yet focused state, and, uh, than, than running or biking? Yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. Um, I, like the, I like that you said the most wakeful state as well, because uh, my, uh, I think... Not, not myself, but a lot of people think of meditation as being, you know, close to sleep, where it's really yeah. the opposite. It is the opposite. It is the opposite. Uh, yeah. So, again, the same question with, with nutrition. Uh, you know, it's, it's all good to have this knowledge, but if you can't make, make, uh, turn this knowledge into action and behavior and habit change, then it's pointless. So, yeah. Yeah. what would your advice be with, for exercise, especially with someone who let's say they're obese and they're starting this journey and they've, they've never eaten well in their lives. We've got that on, we've got on top of that. They've never done any exercise either. So how would you advise someone to start exercise when they don't even know what sort of exercise they like? But yeah. So whereas Aisha's specialty is um, uh, nutrition and um, um, uh, mine is uh, brain building and exercise and habits. Habits, as a neurobehavioral neurologist, habits are everything for me. And at the core is motivation. The most demotivating world, word in English is motivation. Everybody uses it, but nobody has a meaning, a, a meaning for it. So you throw it at people and they feel de demotivated because they think they don't have it. There, there must be something magical. So I've actually operationalized that term because my daughter came to me and said, you know, Sophie, she said, you know, Alex is so motivated. He took the SAT at 10 and mom is this and you're this. I said, my gosh, you're highly achieved. Forget about the word motivation. Motivation is when you have a goal. It could be a small goal, big goal, and you create small steps of success towards it. And those small steps of success, whether we like it or not, pull in emotions from the limbic system of the brain. If it's a steps of success toward a goal, that emotion is a positive emotion. It's a propelling emotion. That is motivation. So there's the answer to how you create behavior change. Create a goal, an achievable, measurable, attainable, time-bound goal. Create small steps of success towards it. Small steps of success being operative. And you will be shocked. And, and it has to be visible, be it a whiteboard where you're checking off or something that's visible. And you'll be shocked that in one year, how much you will accomplish toward that goal. Any goal. I challenge anybody. As long as the steps are clear, the steps are truly connecting to, the, to that ultimate goal, and they're achievable steps, you will be shocked how much you will achieve in anything. So be it nutrition. So I'm, I don't tell people to go to whole, you know, whole food plant-based. No, they're, they're, you know, I, I, when I was in Pittsburgh 15, 20 years ago, you know, Philly steak and cheese was my favorite food in the world. Uh, let's be honest, still tastes phenomenal, but I choose not to because my father had a heart attack at 40. My two grandparents died from Alzheimer's, brilliant people in their seventies. And I decided not to, but it wasn't overnight. It was small steps that took several years towards that. Um, small steps, take one thing. I, I eat this much sugar in a, in a week and quantify it, literally quantify it. I'm going to cut that by half in six weeks. 
don't worry it's six weeks. Everybody, you didn't come to this, to this part of your life journey overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. Give yourself a year to come to that optimal health. Yeah. Next is meat. You know, for me, and another word I hate is moderation. What does moderation mean? I mean, if you would have come to me uh, 20 years ago and said, you know, eat meat moderately, you say, okay, that would have been four times a day instead of five. <laughs> I mean, moderation depends on denominator, doesn't it? I mean, where, where are you starting from? No, it's not moderation. What does is, what is science show to be truly optimal? Not the latest little quirk science or one-off one paper that was funded by the egg industry or, or one-off paper that was funded uh, or one-off paper that's been read in a certain way that people... No, 80 years of data that, that in large studies like California teacher study, the, teacher, uh, the, the, the Harvard study, the Adventist Health study. These are 100,000 people. The China study, a million people. Not little off one-off studies that they want to make a book from. We're talking about billion, you know, billions of data points. That's where... And, and even there we say humbly... To the best of our knowledge today, this is what it shows. And, and prospective data that showed 5,000 people who were put on a mostly a whole food plant-based diet, they had a much lower chance of going on to develop dementia. I mean, this is not one little person taking coconut oil all day, one person and made, then making a billion dollars off of it. This is robust data. So given that goal, what is the first step I can take? And take your time and, and time bound, you know, SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T specific, attainable, uh, uh, sorry, measurable, attainable, time-bound. So there, in six weeks, I'm going to cut my sugar by half. Yeah. Those small steps of success become a, a avalanche before you know it. And, and forget about motivation. You don't even have to use that word anymore. It becomes intrinsic in your existence. Definitely. I've, I've often said, uh, for me, I think six weeks is you can achieve a lot in six weeks, but most, the, most of, the, the biggest thing you can achieve in six weeks is that, uh, that whatever habit it is you're trying to form starts to feel, I think at the end of six weeks, it feels good and you, it feels like yeah. that's the way you want to do things. For me, with running, you know, when I first got back into running after not running for years, uh, it was hard to do. It was really, it was a struggle to get myself out and running, but I did it. And after six weeks, I started to love it, and, uh, and I didn't want to go without anymore. So, yeah, it's amazing what's, how, how life can change in just six weeks. And then if you extrapolate that out to a, a whole year, like you said, geez, you can achieve huge things in a year. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. All right. So next uh, is unwind. So we've yeah. already talked a little bit about meditation, but, uh, yeah, what... Meditation is a little more than meditation. Most people just focus on meditation. So, so for us, unwind is not eliminating stress. It's managing stress. We believe there's good stress and bad stress. And unwind is literally and figuratively the center of our plan. You know, it's the you in the middle. But, but it's also because management is everything. Stress, first question is, most people live through stress without ever defining what's the source of stress. What is it? How does it affect them? Quantifying it in any way, you just live through it. So one of the first things we say is identify your positive stresses. Like I'm taking courses for you know, some, some degree. Positive stresses, I have a podcast that I have to reach a certain number. You know, 
uh, positive stress is, is I have a purpose to help the community and it means that by, by, by the year 2019, I want to go to 15 communities, hopefully even in Melbourne, where we uh, expand knowledge about brain health and how you don't have to pay anybody anything, not a penny to anybody, including us, and, and you can build communities that are built on brain health. That's a goal. That's a, po that's a lot of stress though. You know, uh, that, that, that's a lot of work. That's positive stress. Negative stress is the kind that's not yours, doesn't have a, a timeline, doesn't have direction, and it's cumulative, and it's destructive, and the cortisol, the adrenaline, the inflammatory markers, all of them go up. And people who've had chronic stress have smaller brains. Studies have shown that. So differentiate what are you, literally write it down on a whiteboard. This is, and, and make sure they're really specific. This is my, these are my good stresses. These are my bad stresses. The bad stresses, figure out how to manage them, meaning delegate, timeline, organize, or just get rid of. The good stresses, prioritize, fit them in a line where to see how it fits your bigger goal in life, and expand. That's good stress. And there's much more to that, I say. Actually, I have a whole uh, thing on, on, on that. Yeah, that's that's stress that. management. <laughs> yeah, that's stress management. It's not just meditation. Once you do that, once you've gotten control of that, your life actually gets purpose. Your life becomes orderly. Your life becomes meaningful. And that's where the dopamine receptors just start firing like, like, like it's you know, New Year's Eve. That, so that, that's what you're going for, that, that, that oxytocin-driven brain as opposed to an adrenaline, uh, uh, cortisol-driven brain. And that comes with, 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 with organization. Then comes things like meditation and mindfulness and, and meditative walking or meditative running, which actually we talk about. Those come next, and those create these islands of calm and focus that you have complete control over in short term, that gives you the short bursts of energy and motivation. You need those because to, this organization takes, thing, takes a little time, right? These short bursts of three minutes in a car where I'm just sitting, the act of breathing, people actually don't know that that simple little act, breathing in, and breathing out and at the same time relaxing your neck muscles, forehead muscles, core muscles, but is more powerful than you can ever imagine. We know that chemically it changes your body, even that few minutes. Imagine you get good at it. And then people say, no, I can't do meditation because I can't focus. Wait a second. That actually is the positive part of it. Every time you lose focus and come back, you're building the muscle of focus, not literal, but because you're pushing the brain to create those pathways of focus. It's okay you're losing it. Right now, you can focus five seconds. Next week, try for 10 seconds. The following week, 15 seconds of focus. And maybe you will fall back, but the trajectory will always be better and better. So that act of refocusing is actually a positive thing. That's why these short bursts of focus building through meditation, mindfulness, meditative walking, yoga, uh, you know, a tai chi is is a is a is a reward form of of uh, uh, management of 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 your stressors. So it's a wonderful center to begin with.
Yeah, I love that idea that, you know, I was one of the same people with meditation that I can't meditate because I'm no good at it. I love this idea that uh, there really is no good or bad with meditation. There's no, it's not a results focused thing. It's just if you can sit for any amount of time or not even sit, lie down, whatever is the position for you, then, uh, you know, you're doing it right. There's, <laughs> there's no yes. way to get away from this idea that I, I thought about something else, so I failed. It, it doesn't matter. What matters is that every so often you catch yourself and bring and recenter and refocus. And, yeah. and that's it. That's, that's all there is. That's <laughs> that is, that is. I mean, uh, most of us go through life reflexively. I mean, people talk about consciousness. They're really, we really rarely are in a conscious state. It's when we're in that focused state that we become conscious. So even if this exercise seems futile to you, what if you can achieve that hyper-awareness once every four days, once every 10 days? Isn't that an amazing gift? But then reality is that if you keep doing it, that will become more and more and more part of your consciousness, your awareness. Yeah, yeah. like everything, you just get, you get better with practice, like everything in life, literally everything in life. Uh, so the next one I think is probably the most important one from my point of view. Well, I think nutrition is the most important overall, but I feel like I'm on top of that now. So the next most important thing yeah. for me is, uh, is restore. That's, uh, I really need work on that. So what's restore involved? So the, the, a lot of people have written about sleep, but, but it's not about sleep. I can knock anybody out with medication. You want me to, they say, I have, I have no problem. You know, I, I, people come to us and say, oh, I have such a difficult time sleeping. Well, they were able to knock out poor Michael Jackson with propofol, which is anesthesia medicine. Knocking people out is not the answer. It's getting restorative sleep. The kind of sleep that goes through the cycles of, you know, of sleep, the four cycles, including the re, uh, repetitive eye movement, it has a purpose. There's a reason that we actually have it in our life where we sacrifice safety one third of our day to restore the brain. It's profoundly important. So there are two functions that we know of that it serves. One is it helps um, with uh, filing the memories and thoughts into the right places, putting things into the right places. The second function is uh, detoxification. You know, when we were in Beverly Hills as directors of brain health, everybody would come with a uh, with the detox of the day from every pore you can think of. And we would tell them there's only two detox that we know of. One is water, lots of water, at least eight gla glasses of water. And then the second is sleep. Because we know that people who sleep well, they actually, they, that, that next, that when they measure their blood and CSF uh, levels, there was less inflammatory factors, there was less cortisol, there was uh, you know, much less even amyloid, which is a bad protein that builds up in Alzheimer's. But if you had a bad night's sleep, the reverse. So sleep serves those two critical functions. And the other side of the picture is that people who don't get sleep, chronically don't get good sleep, they have actually shrunken brains, especially the hippocampus, which is memory centers. So it's critical to build a sleep, a good sleep environment. And part of that is sleep hygiene, which is a whole list of things you can do slowly to, to build better sleep environment working on the environment. Um, um, there's a lot of things as far as the hygiene is concerned, from foods to light to, to time of how often you go to sleep, you know, and, and then what pattern, lots of stuff that you can do as far as sleep hygiene. And then if, for those who have these thoughts that run their, through their head, 
continuously, anything from meditation to mindfulness, as well as neurocognitive therapy, behavioral cognitive therapy that helps you stop those thoughts from running through your head. And so that's a very important element to your brain health uh, and to your health in general. So sleep is uh, critical. And then there's a group of people that have this, this disorder called sleep apnea, where they're actually holding their breath um, uh, because of either obstruction or, or dysfunction in the brain. And they're not getting enough oxygen to the brain. So if there's a suspicion of that because they're getting eight hours sleep, yet they're tired during the day. Um, or their spouse notices that they're holding their breath or they're snoring too much. They should get evaluated because that can be remedied. That can be cured uh, or treated. And, and it's critical that it is treated because otherwise they're not getting enough oxygen. So sleep is critical. And there are, there's a lot of data on how to achieve optimal sleep. Hello. Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry, you just uh, just dropped out a, a bit. Yeah. That's, that's all good. Um, but yeah, so uh, one one so sleep is good. I, I agree. I, I need lots of sleep. Uh, yeah, it's really uh, obviously the, it's a no-brainer. Uh, yeah. One thing which I don't have so much trouble with these days. I used to have a lot of trouble with it, but uh, I'm getting much better. But I, I know a lot of people do have trouble. Is that just when they go to bed at night? Uh, they just have trouble switching off the brain and just yeah. lie awake going, I wish I was asleep. So do you have any sort of advice for that? Or? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the cause. If it's, if it's anxiety, if it's stress, all that stuff, then you go to the core there. Yeah. If it's, um, if it's because, the, the, because of the GI system. So what happens as we get older, our GI system gets slower. So even if you think that your stomach is not working, but if you're eating late, your stomach's still working. It's not making those sounds, but still keeping you awake or too much caffeine that you were used to before but you can't respond to now so you have to move it earlier in the day or not enough light or not enough light at the right time or the environment you become much more sensitive so the temperature which usually is required to be about two to three degrees cooler than your core body temperature should be adjusted so there's a whole slew of things that you can do that actually stops the running thoughts the thoughts are started either because of the stress anxiety which you have to address or the environmental situation that allows those thoughts to come about. Yeah. And even if that doesn't work, then there are these techniques through meditation and mindfulness or uh, behavioral therapy, behavioral cognitive therapy that allows you to calm the mind down beforehand. One other thing for sleep that's great, which I'd say that serves multiple purposes is an early brisk walk in daylight helps quite a bit. Light stimulates the melanocytes or melanin producing area of the brain, sorry, melatonin, and melatonin, natural melatonin, as it is supposed to be released, actually helps sleep later at night. So if you walk in the morning, you do two things. One is exercise early in the morning, not so much late in the evening, but early in the morning helps the sleep cycles. The light helps with sleep. So it serves multiple purposes. And if you meditate, like you were saying, during that time, then, then you've done three things to help with your sleep. So it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful little uh, thing that we do with some of our patients. All right. Uh, now, I lost track of time. So I know that you're, you're pressed for time. Yeah. <laughs> Can we quickly go through Optimize? Yeah. Yeah. So I, the, the last one is, oh, Optimize. Optimize is probably the most important as far as protection. Optimize it speaks to connectivity of neurons. So we talked about this three pound organ that consumes 25% of energy. This three pound organ has 87 billion to 100 billion neurons. 
But that's not where the solution is. You could lose a lot of neurons and it wouldn't matter because the connectivity matters. Each neuron can make a few connections or as many as 20 to 30,000 connections. Those connections are determined by your level of, one of the major things that determine those connections is your level of cognitive activity. How much you've kept your mind active throughout life or you challenge your mind, really challenge your mind. That's where the positive stress comes in. You know, people who have higher education, but it's not about education. Bill Gates, got, poor guy, had one year of education, but, but he's pretty protected because of how he challenged his mind through his work. How what you're doing here with, with, with this and podcasts and conversing, this is challenging. So we say that's the greatest protection. Optimizing brain activity to us is not little dots on a screen that you follow to build brain, like these games that are, that are out there that are claiming to build the brain, but more complex activities. Learn a new musical instrument. Learn a new dance. Learn a new song. Uh, learn a new language. Build something. Um, run a company. Um, run a project, run a podcast with all the elements that involves. I mean, uh, how, you know, knowing how many people are here, following the metrics. All, all this is brain activity that's challenging. So if you have to distill that to three elements, it's, it's complexity. So tasks that are complex, that means that involve m multiple areas of your brain, visual, spatial, attention, focus, all that stuff, which are usually complex behaviors. If you're playing a guitar, it's not just following a number, you know, it's, it's motor, it's the memory centers, it's the frontal lobe, which is processing, it's the creative centers of the, uh, of the prior lobe, as well as your occipital lobe in the back of the brain, as well as your language centers. It involves all of that. That's complexity. The next element is challenge. Some things that are complex but are repetitive, they're not going to really push those neurons to connect. So always move it to the next level of challenge. And who knows that better than you? You know, somebody else can't tell you, oh, jump, now learn all of like five songs. No, I can't, you know. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've played guitar for 30 years, but I'm the worst guitar player in history. I know my, my limitations, so I move slowly. And that's what it is, is push it, challenge. So the second element is challenge. Really challenge whatever you're doing. If it's, if it's a business you're running, don't just delegate to others to do everything. Challenge yourself. So that way you, your mind is working at all cylinders. The third is purpose. The third is actually the center of positive uh, stress, which makes it also the center of you as well, which is unwind, which makes it the center of all of life. If you have a purpose, it doesn't have to be grand pair purpose. I'm going to bring peace to the world. It can be a small thing, but it's your purpose. That becomes the driving force. That becomes a fun, challenging, complex activity as opposed to some silly thing that I'm forced to do, that I'm not happy to do, which also brings in these negative emotions and negative hormones. So purpose-driven, challenging, complex activities build the brain. That's yeah. where the uh, optimize is. And I'm really uh, I'm glad you mentioned music because uh, my wife is is a very passionate music teacher and musician in her own right. And, uh, and she's often talking about how great music is for brain oh. development and all sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, pick up a, a guitar or play some piano and it's going to can only be good for you. Exactly. 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 All right. Well, I know you've, you've got to get going. So thanks very much for, for, uh, sitting down with me and uh, having this conversation. It's been enlightening to say the least.
Uh, before you go, can you let people know where to find your book and where to yes. find you and if they want to follow up and learn more about you and what you guys do? Uh, well, you can go to Team Sherzai, T-E-A-M-S-H-E-R-Z as in zebra, A-I.com. When you go there, there's also a brain assessment tool where you can actually put in your nutrition, your exercise, there, the, these questionnaires, and it gives you a score of where you are in all of those. And in the, in the month of uh, June, we have a 25-day uh, challenge where each day we send people advice as far as one element of, of neuro plus habit. So each day, very short, concise uh, advice. So if they go to that website, they will see all of that. All right. As well as the book. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about your book just quickly. Yeah, the book is titled Alzheimer's Solution. And it's a lot of things that we said here and a lot more. And 100% of the profits go to community-based awareness. So if there are any communities in Australia that want us to come, we actually will, will, will help with their, whatever funds they raise. We will also raise funds from our side and bring awareness as far as brain health to those communities. That's our passion. Amazing. Sounds awesome. Uh, and I'll definitely be signing up for the, the June uh, 25 days uh, challenge and, uh, and I'll put a link to your website on my blog where this will be posted as well. So you know, if, if people are in the car driving and weren't able to write that down, just go to SpudFit where you're listening to this and you'll see the links. Uh, all right, uh, Dean Shazai and Aisha, thank you very much for joining us. It's been great and, uh, and it really... Uh, helps to get some clarity in, in what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So yeah, thank you very you're much. You're doing a phenomenal job. You're, you're, you're spreading the news and that's where we are all connected to sp spread as much of the truth as possible. Thank you so much for everything you do. All right, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, I'd love to talk to you again sometime. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Have a great one. Bye -bye. All right, bye up. So there it is. What did you think? I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. I hope you've got some, uh, some ideas for things that you can improve on. Certainly for me, it's, sleep is the big one. Uh, with, a, with a newborn boy and a four-year-old, uh, sleep is decidedly lacking in my life at the moment. Uh, not that it was ever great. It's still, it was always something I had to work on, but especially now, it needs to be a priority. Uh, and I, obviously as the boys grow up a little bit then uh, get older a little bit they'll sleep better and so will we but uh, for now it's a priority <laughs> anyway what are you working on what can you what did you get out of this how are you going to use the information you learn to improve your life tell me in the comments below if you're on YouTube or email me if you're listening on the podcast uh, thanks to Dean and Aisha Sherzai check them out uh, Enjoy. I'll, I'll link them uh, in the description. Go and check them out. Give them some love. And uh, again, like and subscribe to this podcast or YouTube, wherever you, however you're listening. Uh, and give me five stars on iTunes. <laughs> and go to spudfit.com to find out more about me and what I do. If you're new to me then uh, go and subscribe to the newsletter and, uh, and download your five free recipes at spudfit.com all right i think that's it enjoy your week everybody and spot up <laughs>